Let's Get Two presents Go, Go Astros! Go, Go Astros! A focus on H-Town Hardball. And welcome to Go, Go Astros. And no, it's not as uh, important as the day the music died, but the Astros are adjusting to changes in the roster. And I don't mean the addition of Adam Morgan, the loss of Carlos Correa. We are back here with Brian Arbor and Andy Tom Chesson. Um, guys, if people go back to look at the show weeks ago, none of us thought Carlos was coming back. One of us fell for, you know, and I love all the leaks that came out. I love that there are people who think there's a definitive answer because I don't know that there is. Even I don't care what Rosenthal says or whatever. I'm the only one who sort of fell for the possibility of him coming back and therefore was hit in the gut when if it just would have happened, I'd have been fine. Um, right. Andy, take us through from your perspective how all this went down. Um. I mean, he was born, his parents met, and, or do you want, let me fast forward through some of that. We'll fast forward through a lot of that. They fell in love. I assumed you wanted the prolonged answer since this was a prolonged free agency um, brought about by a strike in the middle of it. Ultimately, um, I guess the issue was, and I'm sure Brian has strong opinions because I've read them online a couple times now, (laughs) um, about uh, Crayo wanting a 10-year deal, and that's where this all started out. He wanted a 10-year deal, but he also wants to be paid like one of the top five players in baseball, and the Astros were offering neither of those things. Um, depending on who you want to believe, and I'll just go with the common thought process or the common belief, he was offered a five-year deal at 160 uh, for those five years, which is not a top five salary in Major League Baseball, um, and it's certainly not the length of contract that he wanted. The strike put a big damper in him getting a 10-year contract, and so that brought some glimmer of hope back to some Astros fans, and, and depending on who you read again, some people in the clubhouse, that he'd be willing to take a short-term deal and go back out on the market before he hit 30, which is ultimately what he did, um, and I guess he got $35 million, a little bit and change per year for his troubles, Um but the only team that was willing to offer him that with the opt-outs apparently was the Minnesota Twins. And so out of nowhere, overnight Friday, and I guess late Saturday morning, uh, he signed with the Minnesota Twins, and he's now their starting shortstop. Andy, I mean, Andy, sorry, Brian, uh, I guess add on to that. I mean, you do have some pretty specific opinions on what went down. Um, There's a lot of things that, that were talked about. Did the Astros ghost him? Did they not? I cannot see either James Click or Jim Crane reducing themselves to the habit that 14-year-old kids do when they don't want to talk to someone, particularly when they also have other clients of his on the roster. From your perspective, though, how, do you, how did, you, did you see it going down? Yeah, I, there were sort of bubbles back earlier in the week, uh, earlier last week, that indicated the market wasn't you know, there, uh, he wasn't going to get the uh, really long-term uh, contract that he wanted. And he even wasn't going to get the Corey Seager contract, which not sure why you give that to Corey Seager and not to Corliss Correa, but thanks Rangers. Um, <laughs> like a couple moments of, you know, you know, LL Rangers and LL Yankees, which we'll get to later. Um, anyway, and so, yeah, it seemed like something maybe ought to happen there. There was a report that the Astros were going to prepare him a new offer. I believe Mark Berman reported that. And then 
we really didn't hear anything for the rest of the week other than Martin Maldonado's cryptic tweets, which, uh, you know, I don't think meant anything. Uh, I didn't think meant much at the time and clearly don't sort of in retrospect. And sort of Zandi notes the twins kind of came out of nowhere in one sense. On the other sense, the twins had cleared a whole bunch of salary. They cleared $25 million off their annual salary in the trade they made to the Yankees to send um, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa and Josh Donaldson, more importantly from a salary standpoint, to the Yankees for Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. And I think I, if you follow my tweets, I have a tweet there. It's like, are they clearing money to get Story or Correa? And the I do remember that, yeah. Yes. Yeah, the answer turned out to be yes. Here's why it's kind of shocking, is that the Astros seem to have, they've never publicly announced it, but they seem to have a rule that they will not offer a, a free agent contract longer than five years. We've debated that on this show and you know we've debated it in other places, whether that's a good idea or not, but it is a reasonable position. Because when you go for really long-term contracts, you're paying for, say, Albert Pujols' decline phase. Yeah. Um, you know, and so had Carlos Correa signed the Corey Seager contract, we'd be sitting here saying, you know, maybe they should have made an exception for it, but we understand why they had this rule that makes sense. They got the best of all possible worlds. They got Carlos Correa willing to take a one-year contract so he could go back on the market next year, as long as he got a couple of player options opt-outs, but player options that would allow him to choose the time based on his health. And they got it, the lockout, you know, the, the players negotiation lockout boosted the tax threshold, which seemed to be their budget last year, to a point where they could fit Correa. I think my numbers indicate slightly above that, but, you know, Maybe you find a way to trade Rafael Montero and that saves the money right there. And you can, you know, futz around with the numbers and make that work. Or the tax. Or the Rizzi and take $7 million off the books. I mean, there was ways to make that happen if they wanted yeah. to. So, you know, we'd be having a very different show had he signed a, you know, a $300 million 10-year uh, contract that he signed a essentially one-year contract for $35 million for a salary the Astros seemed to could afford, and which I'm a Jeremy Payne optimist. We can talk about that at some point, but Carlos Correa is projected to be three and a half wins better. That's three and a half wins. That's three and a half wins clearer to both winning the division. They're still favorites for that, but also to getting a first round buy and to having a better playoff team. Is that worth $35 million? I think it is. The Minnesota Twins think it is. Jim Crane does not. How much of it, um, Andy, do you think it had to do with Jim Crane not wanting to do this again next year? Or do you think that was a factor of it at all? Um, I think it's absolutely the contract that um, Correa signed with the Twins is basically three one-year contracts. And so he has an opt-out after the first year. He has an opt-out after the second year. And if he stays for all three years, he's a free agent when he hits 30. Um so ultimately, yes, it's the same conversation potentially for four consecutive years for the Astros. And, and I think they don't want the distraction or don't feel the squeeze is worth the juice at, at some point. Um, I also went back because uh, we're doing some household cleaning and was flipping through Moneyball or uh, not Moneyball, Astroball, which is a really great book that came out um, 
uh, about the Astros 2017 World Series and all the groundwork that had been laid to that. And one of the things that struck me is that um, Luno and I think Sig was also quoted that their projections, they're very deep in the analytics, their projections, they basically admit aren't worth anything after five years. So it's impossible from their models to project a player more than five years out, which I think is some of where the five-year deal comes from. And also to just the practical standpoint of not wanting to be tied to aging players on the downside of their career. Uh, that's not the Cardinals model. And that's what the Astros have tried to emulate. Uh, so it, it gets to be a really interesting kind of, is it worth that one-year deal and potentially doing it for two years if he gets hurt or decides for whatever reason not to test the market and then potentially again after that? I think the Astros just made a decision that we're going to move forward with Jeremy Pena. Um, you know, and reading Twins Twitter after the shock got over because they weren't expecting it either. It's not like yeah. all their insiders were saying, hey, look out for Correa. Um, they don't expect Correa to be around. Some of them don't expect them to be, be around by the trade deadline um, because he, they're not going to be a really competitive team unless a lot of things fall correctly in that division. Now, everybody makes the playoffs now, so that might change some of the, the, the scope of that. But yeah, the Twins he, have pitching he, issues, but their defense got a lot better this week. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and he um, so he may be available. He may be available before August. Uh, you know, the Astros might need to trade for him in August, knowing that you know they can have this conversation again. Uh, but I think ultimately that's the issue. They didn't want the distraction for three, four consecutive years, uh, knowing that they needed to move forward and knowing they've got Tucker and Alvarez that they have to worry about in the coming years. Um, they're going to have to figure out something to do with Altuve um, and Bregman after the 2025 season, which I know sounds like a long way off, but it certainly would be in that five-year window of a Correa contract or, you know, longer. So, you know, I, I don't love what they did, um, but I understand it. So that doesn't mean that I agree with it necessarily. But I well, that brings me to my next question, because it does seem like um, like everything else today, we've we've evolved into two polar opposite camps. There is the camp that Jim Crane is cheap and he lied to everyone. And, and why didn't he pay Crea? And then there's the camp of he shouldn't have paid him in the first place, blah, blah, blah. Are you angry, Brian, at the Astros for this? Do you have animosity to them, or do you feel like this is business? Um, I don't think I'm angry at the Astros. I'm frustrated. I'm baffled. I'm a little less understanding than Andy is because, um, okay, you have to go through this again next year with Correa, but you know we had a pretty good last year with Correa having to deal with all this, including, um, you know, uh, including, you know, going to the World Series again, um, you know, having better players is a, for that. So I, I don't think they should put much stock of that. I absolutely, look, Jim Crane has, when he bought the team, the payroll was really low, but the reason the payroll was really low is because the players weren't really good and they were executing a long-term plan. And they said, when the team gets better, the payroll will go up. That's what happened. And that's been, you know, it's been a relatively steadily rising uh, payroll for the Astros up until it went down a little last year from 2020 when they were going to go over the cap, but the cap got way that year due to the pandemic. Um, and so, you know, the question we can ask right now is, is this a new phase or is this just sort of a temporary blip? The payroll is going to go down this year 
And it is going to go back up next year. Um, Andy mentioned uh, Tucker and Alvarez. They'll both be in the arbitration process next year, as will Jose Arquiti and Kristen Javier for the first time. So that probably played some, you know, role in what they're thinking. But again, you know, it seems to be a problem, I think, that is worth managing. The, 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 the cost of that seem relatively low, the downsides of that, and the upside seems much higher. Yeah, I, I guess when I started hearing the words of the of the opt out and the one one year deal, um, you know, it was funny. I want to you know, shout out to Michael Schwab because he was going at it with an MLB reporter who kept saying Correa signing with the Astros is imminent, and Schwab kept saying y'all can go to bed. So there was, I think, uh, a war of information going on. But I too, I thought, well, okay, this one year deal seems like it works well for everybody but I'm not the woman signing the checks, but Andy, how about you? Like, where do you fall on this sort of, you know, is crane a liar and we hate the Astros now, or is it just something that happened? Like, do we feel like Jim crane is somehow dishonest because of all of this? No. And I think that it's something I certainly saw last year and the year before, because in the last four years, we've shed Garrett Cole. We've shed George Springer. We've shed Carlos Correa. And fans, I think, for the two deals prior have basically tried to rationalize it in their minds as, well, if we keep Cole, there's no way we can keep Springer. And if we keep Springer, there's no way we can keep Correa. The Astros have never said that. They've never said, and you can go look through Crane's press conferences. You can look through when Luno was here. You can look through when Click was here. They said we would have to make hard decisions based on all this talent coming basically to free agency near the same time. And we're going to have to make long-term decisions for the betterment of the franchise, but they never said, okay, well, if we don't sign this guy, we're absolutely going to bring Carlos Correa back. That wasn't the deal. So I don't feel like I'm, I've been misled or um, lied to, or that crane is practicing some sort of sleight of hand, because I think if the Astros at the trade deadline are really close to having the best record, in the American league and, it making a difference in the seating in the playoffs, which again, 14 teams are going to make. So who knows how that's all going to work. I think you, you're going to see them have a lot of room to move. So if they need a starting pitcher, they're going to be able to get one. If they need a stop, a stopper at the bullpen, they're going to be able to get one. And frankly, if they need a shortstop, they're going to be able to go grab one. Um, so they've got a lot of roster flexibility, which is not a bad place to be considering the other pieces of this roster are so good. Um, what it's done from a, my personal fandom standpoint is take an elite offense and bring it a little bit more down to earth. I think that's still seven games better than the rest of the division. Um, and I think most of the projections I've seen is a, are around there. So yeah. I, I don't feel like I was lied to. I don't feel like I was misled. I don't think Crane doesn't want to spend money. I think he doesn't see anything that he wants to spend money on right now. And that's, that's, that, that's a, it's maybe splitting hairs, but it's a distinction. Uh, Brian, before we move to the next topic, did you want to follow up on any of that? Yeah, just uh, Jim Crane is uh, not good at PR and speaking to the media. Well, As we've discussed on this show true. for yeah. years. So if, yeah. you want that, if you want that, we can go back to Uncle Drayton, okay? And he can go he can go in the booth with Milo for nine innings and, you know, but, you know, I kind of got tired of watching Uncle Drayton, uh, you know, give these nice talks and then not spend on, say, the draft. So, you know. <laughs> What's the value of PR to me? Very little, obviously to others, you know, I mean, Hey, they're selling tickets here and 
again, Drayton was better at that. And, you know, that. so yeah, so Jim Crane just doesn't give good comments to the media. And that's not a, that's just a fact and not a judgment. Okay, well, I'm gonna, we're going to come back to Carlos Correa at the end of the show, but I do want to touch a little bit on the Yankee letter because I thought it was funny. Um, the Yankees did lose their appeal, and I don't know if they can appeal again. I don't know how that works, but they've lost their appeal. Um, the, the letter has to be really made. Been appealing. What's that? You said they lost their appeal. Have they ever really been appealing? No, they've never been appealing to me, although I guess the, 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 the pinstripes are slimming, but the, the immediate Carlos reaction. Carlos disagrees. Not enough for him. No, yeah. no. And not on the immediate David reaction Paul. from some prominent Yankee fans were, well, everybody cheats. I mean, it's essentially been the thing the Astros fans have been saying since the 2017 story was revealed that, hey, we were just one of, oh, no, you're the only ones. Um, Andy, we'll start with you. What do you hope the end result of the Yankee letter is? I mean, do you hope they get punished? Do you hope it's just enough for us to say, at least you can say we weren't the only ones doing something. Well, the letter, if I'm recalling correctly, was written and sent in 2015. So there's not going to be any punishment or suspensions handed out. That's not a thing. Um, I, I doubt the franchise gets a fine. And if they do, who cares? That The money is immaterial. Um, I, I guess you would want some sort of cover or at least the ability to say, see, we, we've been telling you all along. But ultimately, it doesn't matter because what's going to happen is the media is going to see this letter and collectively yawn and move completely forward with it, with, no matter what it's, it could, I mean, it literally could say that Reggie Jackson was stabbing people on Main Street and they still elect him president. It, it literally doesn't matter because the baseball media will not hold the Yankees accountable for anything. Yankees fans aren't going to hold the Yankees accountable for anything because they, why would they? I mean, the Astros fans certainly don't, as a group, hold the Astros accountable for what they did. Boston fans are the same way. You love your team. So I don't, it's going to be a lot of ado about nothing. I just hope for Astros fans, you get a little bit of justification and a little bit of, we told you so. Um, but I think that's the all, that's all you're going to get. Nothing material is going to come out of this. And it and feels, I, I know I've talked, I've tweeted it a couple of times. It feels a lot like Geraldo Rivera, Capone's vault kind of situation where we're going to get all excited to see this letter and it's going to be a picture of Manfred in a swimsuit or something. <laughs> well, and you know, I'm on, I, I don't necessarily care if the Yankees get, I mean, it's how long ago I, I don't really care if they get punished. I don't, I agree with you. They're not going to, they're going to, I just, people that think that the Yankees are going to get drug, I think need to need to change their expectations. Brian, what about you? I mean, you're up in that area. What are your thoughts? I, don't think the I think Yankee fans on Twitter know about it today and I don't think the average Yankee fan I think if I went and you know went to a local bar here and talked to uh, Yankee fans they didn't pay much attention to the story and like Andy said I don't have great expectations that this will do anything um, and part of my thought for Astros fans is have some fun with it you know because it's a small chance to get a little bit of uh you know, revenge on people who haven't been very nice to you on Twitter. It's, uh, it, yeah. Social media. And, uh, you know, I know the Yankees aren't really principally uh, opposed to the banging scheme because they just signed Marwin Gonzalez who used it more than anyone else. Yeah, it, it is the squirting flower of revenge. If anything's in this letter. Oh, smell my lapel. 
okay, great. You got me with water. I don't care. Yeah. And well, all you're going to hear from Yankees fans anyway, if the, if the most damning in that letter could be is 27 rings, because that's all they ever say. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've read some hypotheticals of what the scheme might have been, that it might have been a camera looking at a pitcher's grip and not necessarily a sign. And I've seen Yankee fans sort of say, see, that's not sign stealing even, you know, I mean, I just really want the acknowledgement that what we've been saying is that this is just a part of the game, like it or not. And that MLB has long allowed cheating until it was time to scapegoat someone. So there you go. All right, well, as we close there's, there's out. A long, there's a long history of this stuff, and it's usually treated as sort of this lore of, you know, aren't ball players, uh, you know, kind of wacky and uh, look to the links they'll go uh, to do this. And it's treated more as comedy when you look back at history and, you know, yeah, and in the age of social media, it allows people to temporarily stand on righteous indignation and then be convenient whenever it turns out they were also sort of. I read this book on the forty-eight on the forty-eight Indians. Bob Feller brought back this uh, telescope that he had uh, learned about from his naval service that they had out in the outfield that they were signaling pitches in. This is not, you know, you know, people have used technology to find new stuff forever. And Bob Feller's in the Hall of Fame, where Jose Altuve will be one day too. Yeah, the only difference between what the Astros have got caught doing is that they got caught close to when it actually happened because of Mike Fires having his panties in a twist if he doesn't come forward there's no article written it's just whispered and nodded at and just like gaylord perry would be today okay well there you go so as we go though we are saying goodbye to carlos correa um I, th- I think you know it's funny i my emotional attachment to this era of astros was always george springer first so i've already sort of dealt with the um the, the long goodbye the painful goodbye but i thought it'd be fun to kind of what were some of y'all's favorites favorite correa's moment correa moments as an astro i know mine was i just think the look on his face when he was telling fisher to get down at the end of game five and then just the reaction when the astros won will always be the thing in my head that 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 was carlos correa to this team uh, uh, andy how you about doing, you weren't you doing the exact same thing waving him home telling him to slide running through your living room because that's what i was doing Actually, yeah, I was. And then I was also looking like this. So that's how I was watching the ball game. So, um, Andy, how about you? I mean, besides the HEB commercials, which is really the big hit we're going to have here, because I don't know who on the Astro. Alex Bregman is not an actor and should not be doing commercials. It seems like a great guy. I like his salsa. Not a great actor. Give them all to Altuve. Maybe maybe Alvarez gets some lines now. I don't know. But um, from an on-field standpoint, um, I think for me it was the uh, 2017 ALCS game one where he uh, hit a the RBI the game-winning RBI double that was Gary Sanchez aided that plated um, Altuve uh, for a one to one to nothing victory against the Yankees or a two to one victory, I believe. Uh, one run game anyway, uh, really exciting. But what it did for me as an Astros fan was that was a competent offensive scheme in the playoffs, which as an Astros fan, you <laughs> hadn't seen before. That was like, it looked like we had players who knew what they were doing in the playoffs, which was really hit or miss prior to that for, from a franchise history. And so that it wasn't hit prior to that. It was all missed. Yeah, so it was very much for me a sign that things might finally be different. And Brian? So 
my sort of Correa is the player I'm most attached to on the current team. Um, and that's because when he started to really start come in the minors and start sort of developing, it's like, well, we have suffered a lot. We've had to watch this team lose a hundred games. We've had to watch sort of, you know, no preparation for the end of the, uh, you know, the Bagwell Vigio Berkman era and this terrible farm system. And finally, all our sufferings, what we got is we got the first round draft pick for Correa. I don't know what this is going to lead to, but I want to be attached to this guy because, well, I paid for it. Um, <laughs> it is, frankly, it's what Steve McNair would have been had Bud Adams not moved the team. We suffered to get Steve McNair, and then he goes to stuff in Tennessee. Different topic, and there's, there's somewhere I'm angry. Uh, but anyway, um, and so Correa to me was always sort of this is what you know, this is the reward we got for having suffered through that. And from a standpoint of, was it worth it to take that pick? Remember everyone, the, the consensus at that time is Byron Buxton should have been the number one mm -hmm. pick in that yeah. draft. And uh, Buxton's a really talented player. Correa has been better than him. And uh, we've gotten to really, you know, and we've gotten, as Andy said, lots of great postseason moments. So uh, I will end this by going, it's my time. <laughs> Well, it's time for us to get out of here. That's for sure. Now, hopefully coming back, barring any crazy news when we're back next week, I do want to talk about um, a hypothesis Jake Kaplan raised in The Athletic today of, all right, you've got this money. What will you spend it on? So we'll be talking about that. But until then, uh, we've, we've had some spring training games. Go Jeremy Pena and go Astros. We'll actually get the real major league players will start playing, I believe, tomorrow. So go Strohs. One can hope. Go Strohs. <laughs>